Great to have you there with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. You know, we have off-air advice available for you over 40 hours each week. It's free. You can talk with a member of Team Clark. Go to Clark.com, scroll down a little, you'll see the hours and phone number for that free off-the-air advice. Coming up later, I have new info for you on a way for you to actually be able to become a writer and potentially be discovered by people in ways more easy than we've ever had before. The cost for you to do so? Nothing. Talk right now about something that just absolutely has people twisted up in a pretzel at automakers, with federal agencies, and the rest. And it's that we have had a massive increase in fatalities and accidents on the road in the smartphone era. As smartphones became uh, really just everywhere, people use them everywhere, even as they're driving. And I, as I drive down the road, even when I'm in states that have outlawed handing, uh, using a cell phone at all while you're behind the wheel, I see people all the time with their cell phones typing away messages, looking at things, and at least it was at a red light, the person next to me was laughing, watching a video. I don't know what the video was, but they were watching a video at the red light. I mean, we are so addicted to these things, and it's so incredibly dangerous. So get this. I want you to think about this. How often are people in an accident where they say, I just looked down for a second. Well, a vehicle travels maybe a fifth of the length of a football field every second. Think about that. But do you know that according to the Trade Association for the Automobile Manufacturers, If you look away from the road for two seconds, look down at the car radio, look over at somebody next to you, or look at your smartphone for two seconds. Now think about that. 1,001, 1,002. That's it. In that time, you double the chances of a wreck. That fast. You know, I confessed to you on the air years ago that what changed me was I was looking at my cell phone while I was driving and almost hit a jogger. This must be five, six years ago. And that changed me forever. Thank goodness I didn't hit that person. But it was one of those no-cost lessons. And it's changed me. If I'm ever tempted to pick up my phone, I throw it in the back seat. So remember that. Two seconds glancing away increases the chance of an accident by double. Joseph's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joseph. 
Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm glad I could finally get on. Well, I'm glad I have you here. <laughs> yes, I got a kind of a credit question for you. Me and my fiance are trying to get a uh, first buyer's home loan, and she hasn't been able to start her credit in, in the positive. Um, she has bad credit from hospital visits from our the birth of our two-year-old, and I was wanting to know the best way to go about maybe getting her started with some kind of bank credit card or some kind of way to put her credit in the positive. All right. So first of all, congratulations on your two-year-old. Thank you. And second, the hospital bills, have they been addressed yet? A couple of them have. We're in kind of a limbo dispute with the other ones as far as the insurance that she carried pay either paid for all or half. Most of the ones that we've noticed have been, I guess, out of, not really out of patient, but it's been out of hospital. So like checkup visits and stuff like that. Okay. The reason I ask is that it's kind of like spinning your wheels if you have outstanding debts there it's hard to to really establish the positive credit without having dealt with those yet so how much money is sitting there with those medical bills altogether i believe it is 400 and some change all right so i would say that the highest priority for her is to get those taken care of okay and then look at starting to establish good credit. Do you have your own credit cards? I do. I personally do. So you can add her as an authorized user on your accounts or even depending on the issuer, maybe even as a co-owner. And she instantly will have access to good credit and will build up a good credit score that will allow the two of you to proceed to own a home. Okay. But the 400 and something dollars that fortunately is a small enough amount there'd be very much to her and your advantage to get those settled up okay and as far as adding her to my account would uh what i use my credit card for as as uh, as far as my expenses um i've always kept all of my payments on time I, I think mine's like in the mid 700s would that reflect onto her credit report as well yes Okay. Cool. It, it is a maybe if you make her an authorized user. It's a yes if the issuer allows you to add her as a co-owner of the account. Okay. And, and so that would that would automatically get her to having better credit. Now, the other path is one you may have heard me mention, and that is having her join a credit union and use one of the Fresh Start programs at a credit union where they'll issue her a starter credit card and not all credit unions do that, but most do, is a great way for her to establish good credit moving forward. Courtney's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Courtney. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Thank you. You have student loans you want to talk about. I do. I do the (laughs) dreaded student loans. (laughs) How long ago did you graduate? I graduated in 2011. So here you are six years out. Yes. And how much in student loan debt do you have right now? I have just over 50000 That's a pretty sobering amount, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. And when you're 18 and you're getting these student loans, you don't really think about the future and having to pay them back. So they are dreadful and painful each month. So before we go forward with your specific situation, what you want to ask, what would you say to a 
17 or 18 year old high school senior about selecting a college? Selecting college, go with one year gut. When I first started and was thinking about what college I wanted to go to, I really was debating, like, where do I want to go? You know what I mean? Do I want to stay closer to home? Do I, you know, what do I want to do? And then for me, it's my heart just led me to go to Georgia State. Um, I absolutely loved it. I wanted to get the feel of the downtown and get encompassed with that. So it wasn't a shock to me when I went into the real world and was like, oh, you know, I, I'm, I know about big business and being out in the real world and not being secluded necessarily to a small college town, if you will. But really, it's about you go where your heart leads you. So how do you, what would you say to a 17-year-old, though, about how much debt they should focus on not taking on? Um, I'd be very thoughtful. If you're going to borrow money, think about the future and having to actually pay it back. That, honestly, that thought just didn't cross my mind. I was 18 and young. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get you know, a job paying lots of money each, you know, have a great salary. And that's not necessarily realistic in the real world. You don't necessarily make the big bucks when you get out. You got to work towards it. And it, it can be a shock when you're having to pay those back. So, um, try to save as much money as you can. Work throughout college. It's okay. You can do it. At one point, I was working two jobs in a sorority, and I managed to get it done. So try not to borrow um, as much. You know, try not to if you can. Um, but if you do, very be very smart about it. Well, you've got this fifty thousand that's that's still staring you down six years out. What are you thinking of doing about it? Um, well, for, for me right now, um, I have, I had a public loan that I took out and then, then a private, um, how much do you have in government loans in government? I have a little over, I'd say roughly 25. So you're half and half, half and half. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now the, I wish you told me they were all federal, but you've got half federal. Oh yes. Because the federal, uh, process and payment system is far more favorable to you as a borrower You're than a private. Exactly right. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. So where are you at? What are you thinking of doing now? Well, with my private loan, unfortunately, right now with the private loan, the public one, I've consolidated all those, um, trying to tackle those the best I can. They're so much easier to work with when you have the government loans. Um, but the private, I've not experienced that at all. Right now, I'm wanting to refinance um, to get out from the company that I'm with. And right now, my mother is a co-signer on this private loan. And my parents have asked me to, if I can, essentially take my mother off as a co-signer and just refinance solely into my name. Your parents are smart. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, bless them. They have been so wonderful. I mean, to even co-sign on this um, private loan for me was, you know, very generous of them. But now, I mean, it's obviously a debt that's associated to my mother's name. I'm older now, and, you know, they've asked me that, but I graciously would like to try to make every effort to get my mother's name off of it so that that debt is not tagged, you know, on onto them, and they're thinking of retiring, and they're thinking of their future as well. Well, the key to you being able to do that is going to be based on your overall debt levels versus your income and mm-hmm. how you've done as a payer, what your credit score is, what your credit okay. report is like. 
And if your credit situation is very good and your debt level, other than these student loans, is non-existent, you have the income to support it, mm-hmm. you will be able to potentially refi out and get your mom off the obligation. Gotcha. And you're probably getting refi offers. Are you? I am. I am. I, you know, I get, um, and I honestly have not paid very much attention to them as I've been getting them. I, there's one company that sends me letters often, and I just kind of put it to the side. And Well, the um, one that's been most aggressive and mm-hmm. is the one that I don't hear complaints about is SoFi. Okay, okay. That's actually the one I've been getting the letters from. Oh, really? And Yeah, but I, I did some research and I looked at some reviews and unfortunately I got poor reviews. And so I was like, I don't know what to do now. So that's actually how I ended up writing you. Okay, <laughs> so. well, I, I think that if SoFi will take your mom out of the picture and give you a okay. decent rate, and okay. you want to do a fixed rate, by the way. Fixed rate, okay. Because the student loan, the private student loan lenders will try to push you towards variable rates. And, you know, you don't want to be in a variable rate. You want to be in a fixed rate on those. And when you go into it, you got to be really comfortable that you're going to be able to make the payments because, as you know, there's flexibility with federal loans. There is no flexibility with private student loan lenders. They can be brutal with you. And whatever... You need to do every month to make that private student loan payment, whether you stay stuck with who you're with, co-signed with your mom, or you're able to refi, make sure you make that payment every single month on time. It's time for Ask Clark. Our producer, Joel, asked me a question that you posted at Clark.com. Yeah, Dana wants to know, is it necessary to give my social security number when I'm signing up for car insurance? Yes, it is, and for the freakiest of reasons. Auto insurers, they vary how much they do this, but many auto insurers use as the primary criterion for setting your rates for auto insurance being your credit score. So the reason they want your Social Security number is to run your credit, and someone there was a study recently that found that someone who's got a great credit score and a DUI from many insurers will get a lower rate than somebody who's had a perfect driving record but has some negative marks on their credit. That's crazy. Joe writes in, he says, how much does an electric company pay you or me if we sell electricity back to them from the solar that we have? It's set by each of the 50 states and their regulation of power companies. And in some states, the rate that they pay for excess power when you're selling power back to the power company is very favorable. In others, it's a pitiful amount, so the power company profits from your solar. Clark Mark wrote in, he says, why do corporations allow their stock prices to climb so high, like over $50 a share, when they could do splits and keep the price in the range where individual investors would be a lot more likely to afford those shares? So most companies don't care anymore about individual investors buying their stock as individuals institutions do most stock buying now uh, through mutual funds, index funds, that sort of thing. So companies don't really clue in or pay attention anymore to you as an individual investor buying their shares. When the price goes up, they just let it keep going up and 
have turned their backs on you trying to buy individual shares. All right, and Linda wants to know, a while ago you mentioned being able to carry pack- someone, uh, hiring someone to carry packages from one town to another. What was that website again? The website that I talked about was uship.com, and so they do a variety of moves, typically people moving smaller amounts of stuff, but it can be any of a number of things. U-Ship has broadened what it does, and it's again, it's the letter U, not Y-O-U. Uship.com. One other source, roadie.com, R-O-A-D-I-E.com. It's my pleasure to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. There's not a week in my life that goes by that I don't get a question from someone who is attempting to write or publish their own book. And the answers I've given over the years, and by the way, people have been asking me about uh, being a writer, publishing books, my entire time that I've been doing what I do over 30 years, and the answers have changed all through the years, and now it's easier than it's ever been for you to get your works published at very little cost at all. The hard part remains getting discovered. So there's something I've not talked about to this point called Wattpad. Wattpad. I'm just going to spell it. W-A-T-T-P-A-D dot com that is kind of a mix of a social community and a writing and reading community all merged together. And it's completely free to use. It's ad-supported. And so with Wattpad, or Wattpad, or however you say it, you can start writing whatever it is you want to write. And when you're done, people can start reading whatever it is you have written. And the number of people that are into this is in the many tens of millions that either go to Wattpad to write or go there to read. And the social media component is that the word spreads, the buzz created when people see stuff that really appeals to them. So as far as making money from what you write, today that's almost impossible. So this is not a way for you to suddenly write something and make money from it because you're putting up the material you write so that people can read it and they read it for free. I mean, people can, I don't know anybody who does, but you can pay for a premium model where you don't have any ads on it and then you spend like 60 bucks a year for that and then you have no ads. But I have no problem with ad-supported stuff. This also is a way that if you're a phenomenal writer, traditional publisher may, it's obscure, remote possibility, but they may find you, and maybe your writing that you love to do could also make you money. So we have a self-publishing guide at Clark.com 
This is a little different than the kind of stuff I talk about on that, but this is another possibility of a way for you to automatically get published and have no hard cost at all coming out of your pocket to get it done. Again, the website to check out is wattpad.com, W-A-T-T-P-A-D.com. Robert is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Robert. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Clark. So, Robert, more important, how's your dog or cat? Our dog, Miley, is doing um, pretty well. She's five months old. Uh, she just got spayed, and I had to take her to the vet this morning because she came down with kennel cough. Oh, well, I wish your dog a rapid recovery. Yeah, she seems to be perking up pretty good. I think she'll be, she'll pull through just fine. Well, good. But my the reason I reached out to you guys is my husband and I were talking about possibly getting pet insurance. And before I would do anything, I said I wanted to find out what Clark Howard had to say. This is a tough one because care for a pet is totally different than it was a generation ago. People right. do procedures, surgeries. They do cancer treatments on pets. They do all kinds of things that in the old days people did not do. So providing medical care for pets has become what can be a very expensive thing Mm -hmm. in the event that your dog were to get a uh, serious illness or injury and you would be of a mind that you would want to have the procedures done and pay the money. So this is how I think you make the decision, Robert. First, there's there's like a, a series of protocols. First thing, are you very wealthy that if something happened, the two of you could just pay for what your pet needed? <laughs> oh, no. Right now, I'm currently unemployed. We just moved to Texas from California. My husband's in the military. And... Um... So I haven't found work yet, and you know, living on a military salary isn't exactly um, what I call wealthy. All right. Well, thank him for his service to our country, by the way, for me. Absolutely. So the, the purpose of the pet insurance is specifically to deal with unexpected large expenses, like any other kind of insurance. So right. the way I would try to make a decision, if you do want to buy a pet insurance policy is ask your vet what pet insurance they've found their customers have the best success with. You can't go by the colorful brochures. Right. And so you want to know which ones are actually going to give you enough coverage that will not exclude the breed of dog you have, as an example. That's one of the, the things that's a nasty in a lot of the pet insurance policies is they'll say, oh, well, yeah, we say we cover those things, but we don't cover them for your kind of dog. Right. So that's where the vet is so powerful in helping you decide by being able to determine which policy, if you do buy one, is going to be the best for you to have for your dog. And again, I wish your dog a rapid recovery. Kelly's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Clark. Thank you so much for taking my call, and sure. I really love your show, love your website, um, appreciate your encouragement for all of us to live debt-free. So thank, thank you. you. 
Thank you. And you are a would-be or are an existing landlord? Yes, unbelievably. Um, I have a home in Seattle, and I've always used a, a management company, and that worked great. Um, but I do have the opportunity to go on my own now, and I wanted to get your advice. Um, it would save me 100 bucks a month or 1200 a year if I do this on my own, and I've already screened some prospective tenants and think I can do this and just kind of wanted to get your advice. I do live five hours away in another state. Um, do you have anybody who's on the ground local in Seattle who you can trust to deal with things on site when you need it that you could pay them per time something came up? Because you got to pay them, otherwise they're not going to be reliable. Sure. Sure. Possibly. I have some friends there, but, you know, they all work regular day jobs. I don't know if that would really work. Well, I can tell Um, you, you have more guts than I do because I have mm -hmm. one of my rental properties is six hours away from me. And Uh I have a management company handling it just because it seems too difficult. Now, the three that I have local to me, I -hmm. handle here. But uh-huh. One that's as far away as yours in Seattle, mm-hmm. I really think that it's worth it to pay that management fee. Okay. And it if you want to try that... it, try it, and mm-hmm. if it gets to be too okay. much of a burden, you can go back to a management okay. company. Okay. Fantastic. That That's what I'll do. And then do you think, can I get away with not having to do the official credit check? I've called um, previous landlords and I've called empl- the employers to verify their wages and everything looks good. So do I have to do you that? Don't, you don't have to, check? but I think mm-hmm. there's a good reason for you to do a credit check, background check, mm-hmm. because you just don't know how reliable somebody is paying their bills. And mm-hmm. a former landlord might not tell you the the absolute truth on that. Right. And, and so, you know, there's that product called MySmartMove.com, which is something that's a transunion service where you get the tenant's permission, the potential tenant's permission, and then you're able to check their credit and you can charge them for the credit check because that's a standard part of a tenant application process. There's also a website, if you haven't been there yet, Kelly, I'd like you to look at landlord.com, see what's available there for resources for you as a landlord. And I wish you great success doing this by remote control, telling you, you're tougher than me. And Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm about yourself today, Clark. Good, thank you. So, Mike, you have a an eight-year-old vehicle that you're running around in. Is that right? That is correct. And what are you thinking of doing? Well, I've already made the uh, second purchase for the family, and you know it's a larger vehicle. We need. I'm, we've had the little one since the, the kids were younger, so. Uh, they filled up the seat, and now they've expanded over the seat. So I'm just trying to figure out which, <laughs> yeah, which which way to go as far as you know. Do I use the the bigger vehicle for my day of the commute, 
which I'm on a rotating schedule or keep driving the small one. You know, I just so you have your you have your older car that's not really practical when you're with the kids. Correct. And you're wondering, would it be better for you to drive the brand new one that works better with your whole family and use it for commuting, or would you be better off keeping that eight-year-old vehicle and running the miles up on it for commuting? Correct. A hundred percent, you're better off using the eight-year-old vehicle for your commuting. You know, the new vehicle has such a high cost per mile every mile you drive and so it's new it's expensive it's big probably burns more gas than the eight-year-old one that's smaller yes yes it does (laughs) so i would say that uh, you would be much better served using the big new vehicle for being a family hauler and when it's just you you haul yourself around in the eight-year-old smaller vehicle Okay, great. Because, you know, those miles, if you've got a a vehicle that's eight years old, how many miles does it have on it? Uh, About 156. Okay. So it's pretty much depreciated out. Your cost for every additional mile you put on it is not zero, but it's extremely low now. Every mile you put on a new big SUV is going to cost you somewhere between 60 and 75 cents every mile you drive it so it's very much to your advantage to keep driving that older vehicle it used to be that a car that made it to a hundred thousand miles people were like in shock that any car went that long mike Mm -hmm. and now the hundred thousand mile mark is really two hundred fifty thousand miles because cars have gotten so incredibly more reliable than they used to be and durable so that would be what I would do. Okay, great. I mean, that's what I thought. I mean, this it's paid for. And I know you've always strived to keep something that's paid for going to those payments. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> because you think about what difference those payments make in your life, the money that you don't have to spend in your life anymore. What are the payments on the brand new vehicle? Oh, it's not a new one. It's it's a second hand. But oh, good. Uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Good. So you held that cost down, too. Wow. I like the way you think. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Melody is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Melody. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Melody. So you want to ask me about ABLE accounts? Yes. Yes, I do. 
My daughter's seventh birthday is next week, and we need to plan for her future. Um, She happens to have special needs, specifically Down syndrome, and she's doing really great. And we're looking forward to helping her become as independent as she can be for when she's older. However, a college savings plan may be risky. So I had gone to our state Down Syndrome Congress convention last year and heard a lot about ABLE accounts as well as special needs trusts. There's a great guide to ABLEs at savingforcollege.com, which I know is weird because these aren't for college, but uh, they're a cousin of 529 plans. So if you go to savingforcollege.com and you put in the search box 529ABLE, you'll see what's available there. And what they've done is so great. They show the expenses on the ABLE accounts and how you access the money. These accounts should be the first step you do before you do a trust for a special needs child. Because the costs on these, the lowest cost plans, cost you as little as one-fifth of one percent per year. Wow. And regardless of where you live, many states allow money from someone from any other state. So you'll have a lot of options available to you on it. And if you don't need the money, but instead much later in life for your child, it's the perfect way to build up tax-free money. Tom is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tom. How are you, Clark? Great, thank you. You have a question about credit freeze. Yeah, I heard on your program quite a while ago, but it went through my mind, security freeze on credit cards, so it's harder for people to access your credit and create uh, false accounts. I went ahead and put one on my account. I'm married, have been for a long time, and my wife is basically on all our accounts, too. Although she has separate credit cards with her own name on them and different numbers, would it be prudent for me to do the same for her accounts? Well, so you're not doing it for her accounts. So a credit freeze, what it does is the purpose of it is to prevent somebody from opening new accounts as if they're you. Right. And if your wife were to do a credit freeze, same purpose. So your existing accounts are in no way affected by you putting in place a credit freeze. The purpose of it is to prevent somebody who gets your information, and there are so many ways people get your information, from pretending to be you and opening accounts as if they're you. So if you're comfortable with having done it for yourself, I would really advise you to proceed and your wife to do credit freeze as well so that you're both equally as protected from somebody who would try to open up an account pretending to be you or her. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.